Welcome to The Q Word, a podcast about the tips, trends, and taboos of emergency nursing, where we pull the hospital curtain back on issues that emergency nurses and their patients often think about but seldom talk about. You found The Q Word Podcast. Hello, Nisa. Hi, Lisa. Good to see you again. You too. We have... have... Please, take it away. (laughs) (laughs) We have a couple of guests on today's episode, and I'm very excited because what they have to present to us is something that I did not know about and am very excited to know about, and I know that our listeners will love it and hopefully use it um, as much as necessary. So I want to introduce you um, to our uh, guests today. We have neuroscientist who is, um, done research and specializes in ADHD, bipolar, and postpartum depression. Um, she is a mom and she is a pop music fan, nay, connoisseur. And we're going to ask her about her favorite girl power, uh, pop musician. Um, so please welcome Dr. Ariel Brown to the Keyword podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, Ariel. Welcome. We also have um, an ER nurse of more than 40 years, a past ENA um, national president from 2011. She is a leader, a mentor, and a national speaker that I've been privileged to hear many, many times. Uh, She's currently serving as the chief nursing officer at Einstein Medical Center Montgomery, uh, which is in Pennsylvania. And she is the originator of a term that I love, that ER nurses are not bedside nurses, but stretcher side nurses, which is a really important designation that we can talk about at some point, um, if it if it's not obvious already. So we want to welcome the mama of ER nursing, Anne-Marie Papa. (laughs) Happy to be here. Thanks for having me again. I think this may be the first time that the Yankees uh, outweigh Mm, the uh, Southerners. How about that? Like. Ariel, you're here in Arlington, and we're going to have a mini Boston. civil war here. Is that what's going to be on personnel this time? No, okay. <laughs> no, never. Right. I, I concede. I concede. <laughs> uh, so, um, Dr. Brown, two important pieces of information before we get started. One, who is your girl power fave? And two, do you ever say the Q word? Wow. Uh, so let me start with the second question first, which is a definite yes, because I have two small children who are very loud. Do you say it at work? Do you know the superstition of the Q word? In you know, nursing? I actually don't. I, I, Anne-Marie told me a teeny bit about it, but I, I don't know if we've got time, I'd love to hear it. So in a tiny nutshell, uh, today I actually got to meet with a group of nursing students. They're seniors and they're graduating in just a few weeks. And I did this whole big, long lecture spiel thing, whatever. And at the end, I talked to them about the keyword and none of them knew what it was. And I was like, forget everything I just talked to you about. This is the most important thing you will learn today. When you are on the shift, there is a certain word that you do not say, um, or you will rain all holy hell down on what was previously a nice shift. Anne-Marie, do you say the Q word on shift? Never. Never. So the majority of us don't say it, but there are some out there, and we have sussed them out on our podcast, who will intentionally say it because they're not superstitious, just to rile up their coworkers or Mm. wreak havoc. 
Um, and Anne-Marie, it was actually you who taught me a great acceptable phrase is to say we're having a nice manageable shift right. instead exactly of we're having what I say. something, something shift. And then, mm-hmm. yep. If you look so. up the term, the Q word, uh, area of Google, the uh, uh, Urban Dictionary will come back and let you know about this particular superstition. It is akin to saying Macbeth in a theater. It All hell will break loose if you say the word that begins with Q-U and rhymes with right. Don't do it. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, and I will I, I will yes. definitely um, take that under consideration. I am not uh, somebody who works on a floor. I am a lay person as well. So when I say quiet um, to, you know, my coworkers working from home, that's usually my children who are bothering me. So, and I'm okay with that because <laughs> I, I will be acceptable. Yeah. And I will say that um, there isn't really any superstition around because it's not like I'll say, oh, the children are quiet today because they're never quiet. So it's not an issue. <laughs> yeah. It's much like the ER. It yeah. sounds just yeah. like the ER. Yep. So be- because you are medical adjacent, mm-hmm. uh, try it out as an experiment. Mention it to some of your physician or nursing friends. I will. Definitely. I certainly will. Ask Dan. Yeah. Dr. Dan, our co-founder. I, yes. Dr. Dan yes. will know. Excellent. And then how about your pop music icon? Who's your girl power pop music icon? Yeah. So, um, I, so I'm, my pop music thing is that I'm, I'm a historian of pop music. So I would probably, I could give you probably 15 starting in 1945, but I'm going to just pick who I would say is my most recent, uh, icon of, um, of, you know, what I think a woman can be and express and in terms of strength and honesty and self-love. And that would be Janelle Monet. So, Yes. Love it. So Janelle Monet is my gal and uh yeah, I will um I'm proud to say I've seen her more than ten times. And as soon as this pandemic um ceases, I have a lot of time to make up for. So perhaps I'll tour around the country with her or something, you know, like I'm in college again. We'll see. Love it. Ah, it's great. It. I also like her the work that she's doing in film. She's her acting yeah. chops are Pretty good. So it's, I'm, I'm really happy true. to see her career yeah. taken off. All right. And, and Marie, we already know how you feel about the Q word. How do you feel about uh, women pop icons? Who would your girl power girl be? Well, you know, see, I'm a baby boomer. So I go way back to the old ways. And, you know, Tina Turner, Aretha Franklin, they're my ladies. Yes. No one will argue that with no you. No one will argue that at all. No, no one will argue love it. it. Awesome. Okay, so the keyword and music podcast is <laughs> now going to shift gears to talk about uh, what Anne Marie and Ariel are bringing to the table today. Nisa, what, why don't you get us started? Yeah, so we know that PPE is something that we've talked about quite a bit for the last couple of years, and we know that it's pr- uh, protective, personal protective equipment. Um, but you ladies uh, have developed something about emotional PPE, and can you tell us what emotional PPE is, and specifically, what is the emotional PPE project? I'll let Arielle take that one since she's one of the founders, and I'll fill in after her. That sounds great. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Um, so emotional P- the emotional PPE project is a nonprofit organization that started in spring of 2020. And we, if you all remember back in spring of 2020, one of the many things that we were talking about having shortages of was PPE. So um, 
what happened was that uh, a very good friend of mine who's a um, ICU doctor and anesthesiologist was telling me um, about what it was like to be a program director for his residence at the time when um, COVID was just hitting. And, you know, it was sort of like, oh, is how are things going? You guys have enough gowns? You have enough masks? And he's like, look, we do, actually. We're lucky enough that at the hospital we work at, we have enough PPE. But what we really need is support. And what we really need is someone to talk to. And we need somebody to actually care about more than just if our bodies are safe, but are our minds safe and are our feelings and our emotions and our mental health safe. So um, that's where the, the expression emotional PPE came in, right? We want to provide protection for not just the body, not just protection against the virus itself, but of the mental health impact of the virus. So um, the project came out of that concept, which is how can we protect people who are working in hospitals, people who are on the front line, healthcare workers of all, of all stripes who are really in need of some extra support at this incredibly tough time. And so that's how the project came about. Um, and uh, I can get into what it is, how it works, but I don't know if Anne-Marie, if you want to add anything else about the emotional side of PPE. So, yeah, I do. Um, I had the option, opportunity to apply to be on this board. And, uh, you know, I've been on a number of boards in my career, and I'm pretty fussy about where I go. Because it takes a lot of time, and, you know, you want to give 150% of yourself. And in the very beginning, when COVID started, one of the things that we started here at our organization was to use the tenets of trauma-informed care. And I did webinars for staff, and I called it emotional PPE. You, This is what trauma-informed care is. So when I saw this emotional PPE project, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is my, this is my soul. I, I, I want to join this uh, organization. And um, I applied and I'm pleased that I've been chosen because I do think that we as nurses and we as healthcare providers, anyone that is dealing with COVID really Sometimes we need things and we need that support. And sometimes I'm a, of a believer that we don't even really know what support we need. So having a project like this and having the resources that are available free of charge to healthcare providers is just manna from heaven for me. So how do you turn a conversation like that uh into action, uh, you know, now that we know where you got the idea from, how were you able to convert that into uh, this actual functioning organization? That you yeah. Um, so again, we want to go back to spring of 2020. And I think a lot of people out there were really trying to figure out how can I give back? And I think particularly those of us that are not healthcare providers, you know, that are sort of reading the news, seeing their friends go through what they're going through, and quite frankly, sitting at home alone, twiddling our thumbs, thinking, oh, I'm so powerless. So that's sort of where I was at. And so um, because of my background in terms of work and in terms of uh, my circles and networks, I happen to know and have a large network of people who are um, mental health clinicians. So these are therapists, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, 
people that um, I've just sort of collected along the way as, uh, you know, this is, this is just my circles. Um, so I worked in psychiatry at Mass General Hospital for about 10 years. Since then, uh, I've been working on developing um, new treatments for mental illness. And so um, the network that I put together, I reached out to. And I was sort of looking for, well, you know, this, as I said, my co-founder, Dr. Dan, who's the intensivist and anesthesiologist, I said, you know, he's, he's directing about a hundred residents. And is anyone out there interested in maybe receiving some phone calls from these residents? Is anyone out there maybe interested in sort of taking a few hours out of their busy schedule and maybe running a group or this or that? And so I actually put out a Google form um, on social media, uh, just my private social media. And um, within eight hours, I actually, I got 70 therapists volunteer. And so I said, holy crap. <laughs> All right, we've got something here. Um, and so, you know, really what it showed me is that there's just a tremendous amount of goodwill out there. And a tremendous amount of support for healthcare workers and acknowledgement that, you know, the, that you all are fighting the fight for the rest of us who are really very, very powerless. So, um, so what I did was I took that and I talked to Dan and I said, you know, let, let's try this out. Let me put together a PDF of these people, uh, these therapists, and it was 15 therapists. I whittled it down based on licensure and based on um, some of their, you know, the information they gave me um, and put together a PDF of 15 therapists, gave it to um, Dr. Dan. He uh, gave it to his residents. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, we were getting call after call after call. And so, you know, it started to put it together. There's this really giant, um, you know, a uh, network of goodwill out there. And also there's a lot of need. And so um, from there, what I did is uh, I sort of said, you know what, Let, let's try to grow this. Let's try to make this work for a larger population. And let's, you know, if it, there's such a need in Dr. Dan's resident group, there's going to be a need everywhere. And so I sort of just took it from there. I built a team. Um, we registered as a nonprofit. We started to raise some money. Um, we started to get some PR. Um, and it really was one of these, these situations that just snowballed out of, uh, this inertia. Again, the great, great need and the great, great, uh, community that was willing to step up. So what we ended up with is, um, a service that is online at emotionalppe.org. And what uh, it is, is it's essentially a directory of volunteer therapists that are willing to give uh, emotional support to any healthcare worker that's impacted by COVID for free, with no insurance, totally confidential. So what the service does, um, in some really, is that it takes this um, network of people who are trained and who have goodwill and want to volunteer and connects them with people that need it. And so to date, we have um, therapists in every state uh, licensed to see healthcare workers in every state. So we have uh, about um, 700 volunteer therapists across the country. We have been used by about 2000 healthcare workers across the country. Um, we are, uh, 
you know, really just growing to a place where we want to make sure that we can answer the call anytime a healthcare worker in need um, reaches out. So that's really the story. And it's been 22 months. The other thing I think that this emotional PPE project does is it gives people permission to ask for help. It highlights that there's no, if it's, if there's no stigma, there's no shame. We're all in this together. And from an emergency department perspective, you know, people, if we're very always hesitant to ask for any kind of help, help taking care of their patients, help doing anything. So I, the one thing that, that COVID did for us is highlight that it, we all are in this together needing help. And we all, the help that we need is, is different, each one of us. And um, I believe that, you know, the Emotional PPE Project really helps us to connect people that need help. Yeah. You know, when the uh, the whole pandemic started and you would see, um, uh, like I have a couple of uh, residents who are doctors in um, New York City and they would walk to the hospital at Columbia or walk to the hospital or walk home from their shifts and people would be cheering for them. You know, there was that 7 p.m. Um, sort of outpouring of positive energy that that regular people, um, you know, lay people were trying to express their appreciation and trying to provide what I think of as this kind of um, proto-PPE um, to the healthcare workers. And so seeing that, uh, knowing that that was happening just at the grassroots level, um, it was charming seeing that you have turned it into something that is a functional um, resource that can be counted on and maximized on and isn't or rather hasn't faded away like that daily 7 p.m. cheer. Um, and, and I think that's just, that's that's really right, because, I mean, you know, we're hearing this from, um, you know, our therapists uh, are, are relating back to us this frustration, like, yes, we used to get cheered for, and now we get booed, and now we have protests at our hospital, and now, you know, now we have, we're dealing with all sorts of, you know, fatigue and, and I mean, you know, new issues that you would not have, pre- have rejected at the beginning of the pandemic. But, you know, and, and this is a thing that people ask us all the time, particularly, I think it was probably summer when we thought maybe <laughs> we weren't going to have, you know, more waves. I said, well, what are you going to do? You, you know, what are you going to do now that COVID is going away? And, you know, the, the thing is, is that the way that trauma works and the way that extended periods of, um, you know, unprecedented stress works is that not only, uh, does it not, you know, not only does it not end, um, when, sorry, not only is COVID not ending, but also as soon as that stress ends, that's not when the need ends. And what we know from, from what we know from battle, what we know from terrorist activity, that this is people sometimes need a really a decent amount of time between when the stress happens and when they can process it. So we're, you know, the clapping stopped. Yes, but we are still here and we are going to remain here and we are dedicated to remaining here. I also just want to comment on something that Anne-Marie said about, um, uh, you know, this, this idea about stigma. And, you know, this is something that we as emotional PPE, ha- were not aware of when we started. 
And we didn't realize that how much, I mean, we understood that, you know, mental health stigma is a thing, but just the profound set of barriers that lay between people who are working in healthcare and getting, uh, you know, and seeking mental health is just shocking to us as we continue to, you know, to understand this. And, you know, one, you know, one thing is this sort of internalized stigma, of course, like, how am I going to be judged? Or am I going to be thought of as having, um, you know, being weak by my coworkers? But the other thing is that there's also very explicit institutionalized stigma. And this is something that we're actually doing research on in terms of interviews or also we publish some papers on is that, you know, in, in when you're going to get licensed as a nurse with the board or as a physician with the board, you may get asked questions about your mental health history. And that actually leads to people deterring uh, care when they need it. And so what we do as emotional PPE is we make sure that whatever, uh, services you get through us are as confidential and sort of off the books as possible. And so, you know, I know that, that what we've heard from some healthcare workers is that they don't even want to use their insurance because they're afraid that a diagnosis is going to be on their record and it's going to follow them and it's going to impact their career. But what, this is one of the reasons that emotional PPE does not take insurance. We don't take insurance and we don't take money and we don't take information. All we do is we help people to find the support that they need. Um, so, you know, that's part of the way that we were set up and the way that we are going to continue to, to operate so that it is as clean as possible. You know, one of my favorite movies is um, A League of Their Own. And you know how they say there's no crying in baseball? Well, you know, I've been an ED nurse for over 40 years and there was no crying. I mean, you, it was really very much frowned upon. And and now, you know, over these past years, yes, when you have your first code, it is okay to cry. It is okay to need support. And so that's why so many organizations now have the peer support, the second level support, and the third level support. And, you know, that's where really emotional PPE can come in as well for those types of things. It's not just COVID related. It's just the entire stress of the things that you deal with because it's very hard to um to watch people die it's very hard to support family and it you know like i said you you give 150% of yourself why not get at least some part of that back for you because we need you filled so that we can do what we need to do every day and you know that's one of the wonderful things that i like about this it's yes ask ask for help yes it's it's um anonymous yes it's free and it's out there with just get on the website. Yeah, I did. I, I heard a, um, a nurse say once, um, I always thought I had to wait until I was at 10% to get help. But what I realized is that I can get help at 80%. Why not be 100%? Why not get support? Like when this, the stakes are so low, you know, um, there's people out there that can listen and that can, you know, offer, uh, an ear that is unbiased and an ear that doesn't have a stake in the game. And uh, it's free. And that's why we're here. You know, that some of the things that we talk about, we've talked about the concept of emotional labor here on the podcast before we've, we've talked about the, at least in terms of nurses specifically, this idea that, um, 
they eat their young. Uh, it's, you know, like it's, it's a ringer. You got to put new nursing students through or fresh nurses through. Um, it's sort of a blood in the water kind of, uh, uh, sense that if you show any weakness at all, um, then, uh, you'll lose all respect as a clinician or people won't take you seriously. I didn't realize that it was, um, so institutionalized. I was been aware of it as a, sort of a, at a, like a, like a bullying kind of thing, but hearing that it's uh, something that can follow you and prevent you from, um, advancing in your career, uh, that is a completely different story. And, and we as leaders really have to stop that thought. And one of the nicest things that I've ever seen in our emergency department here at Einstein Montgomery was we had a student nurse that happened to be part of a, a code and she really had difficulty with it. And I knew she was down there. So I knew I was going to go down to follow up with her and kind of do a debrief. I didn't have to do it. The staff that were on already did it. They told her, cry, let it out. Let's talk about it. Let's talk. And I thought, wow, this is wonderful. This is how everybody should be. And this is, and I was so happy to hear that. That's, I mean, I, that's what we aspire to. That's what we tell people to do. But uh, to see that that was in action, you know, that was a few years back before all this COVID and everything, so that you know that you're trying to build the right kind of culture. And as leaders, we're responsible for that. Anne-Marie, you guys have mentioned several times that it that the Emotional PPE Project is available for healthcare workers. Um, our listeners are mostly ER nurses, but we've got a lot of ER nursing adjacent. So we have students, we have paramedics, we have physicians. Can you tell me who is eligible to participate in the Emotional PPE Directory, the Emotional PPE Project? All of the above are is eligible to participate. Absolutely. And I'll just add to that. I know, you know, back in the beginning, we, we discussed this and, you know, was it just going to be for, for students or people starting their careers or this, you know, but the fact of the matter is this, the stress of the pandemic and the trauma of the pandemic is affecting the healthcare system as a whole. And we want to make sure that it is clear that anyone who is affected uh, is eligible. And we have, we're write that on our website. We're very clear. You know, if you are having to, you know, if, if you're working in, um, maintenance or, you know, I mean, it, it's, there are so many people that, and this, in, the impact of this pandemic does not only affect people who have a certain title. Um, and in fact, there are, you know, I think, People who are let underinsured or uninsured, you know, may actually not have, uh, you know, those credentials. So it's important that we are available to everyone. And sometimes the people that are impacted most profoundly are your EDS providers that have to go in after the aftermath of the code or the trauma or the whatever, and they have to clean up. Or they were in there cleaning that room every day, and now this pay, and and they they're affected differently, but they're affected, and they're impacted, and they need to be, you know, we include them in our team. We had an episode last year, sort of at the height of COVID, which we it was a quick a quick one, 
we've talked about the lightning strike moment that COVID sort of represented, that it gave us an opportunity with the entire sort of upheaval in uh, in sort of day-to-day practice of healthcare for some of these uh, ingrained uh, practices to be re-examined. Instead of being hard on your newbie nurses who just graduated after a year of not getting to do the things that every previous nursing class had to do. You know, they're going into a, 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 this is a completely different healthcare world, that this was an opportunity for nurses, nurse managers, hospital administrators to re-examine some of their approaches to things and take a fresh new approach. And then to use that as a means to moving forward, even when the COVID crisis had passed, um, to sort of Uh, redraw the map. And it's been about a year since we did that episode. But what I'm seeing here is, is is you guys riding that lightning, um, recognizing that strike and saying, this is a, an opportunity for us to take that flashpoint and rebuild this uh, into something better. And I think that's fascinating and amazing. Yeah. And I would say that we can learn from this generation of students in healthcare because they've had to ride this and they know nothing different and they've, and we can really, really learn from them if we listen and, you know, and we work with them because they can teach us a lot. Um, There'll probably be quite some resiliency in that group. And, and we know, I think you would agree that nursing will never be the same after this, that it is, it's a permanent change, not just in nursing, but in the whole healthcare continuum and in many, many aspects, this is a permanent, a permanent change. Um, you mentioned that you have uh, volunteer providers in every state. Mm-hmm. So just some nuts and bolts that I want to know is how would a healthcare provider, an ER nurse go about? Is it Zoom? Is it in person? Mm-hmm. Is it on the phone? And then also, we are really fortunate to have a lot of listeners who are international. Mm-hmm. Is this something that could be expanded or has been expanded or 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 what? What do we have for our international healthcare providers? Yeah, so um, I will start with your second question because unfortunately, I it's a quick answer, which is we have not expanded internationally. Um, so we are, you know, as with any healthcare provider, mental health providers have license licensure limited to geography. So we have the people that we have recruited, that we have uh, marketed to, have really been across the United States, and that's as far as the scope as we've gotten so far. That said, I know that there is interest in other places, and if anyone you know wants to reach out, please you know feel free. I'm happy to give tips to starting up or share ideas or resources. You, um, you hear that, New be- Zealand? We were we were number one in New exactly. Zealand for a hot week there. Come on, New Zealand, reach <laughs> out, right. Ontario. Let's get this started. Yes, and I yes, and I'm happy if you fly Let's me down the there. Going. In fact, I would be happy <laughs> to you know take you through all of you know all of the details. Um, so see you in Auckland and then back to your, your second question, which was about, or actually your first question, which is about how a healthcare, uh, worker in need might use the service. So it is, as I was saying before, as simple and as streamlined as we could possibly make it. What we, what you do is you go to emotionalppe.org, you select your state, and then you will see a list of volunteers and that's it. And so you reach out directly to the volunteer. Most of them have their numbers on there that you can text. You say, hey, you know, I'm Dr. So-and-so or, you know, uh, I'm, you know, contacting you from Emotional PPE Project. Do you have any time to talk? And that's it. 
And so the, in terms of the sessions themselves, uh, we leave that to the therapist. So we have heard of uh, a number of different types of sessions occurring. So like, for instance, we have one practitioner that is very much into mindfulness and she likes to be contacted on like from the break room. So it says, you know, text me from the break room. We'll do some breathing exercises together. Oh, wow. So that, you know, that's one thing. There's everything from that to I am going to see you as your therapist weekly for 12 weeks to help you work on your, uh, you know, your stress levels. Um, or I'm going to see you weekly to talk about your issues at work that may be impacting your ability to perform that kind of thing. All that said, the thing about mental health is that sometimes we think about one thing and that'll be the forefront of our mind. Like it'll be COVID, for example, but you know, sometimes we need to talk about other things too. And I think, you know, that's the thing that our therapists do recognize is that we are all whole human beings. And just because we're nurses or because we're scientists or because we're pharmacists, COVID is impacting all of our lives. So I think, you know, one thing that I think is important for people to remember is that you don't have to limit what you're talking about just to, you know, the impacts of COVID. This is a service that is here to lift you up as a human being. Um, so feel free to reach out if you need any of that. All you do, go on emotionalpp.org, select your state, and then just contact a therapist and, you know, the, you can work it out with them. And again, no insurance, no cost. Uh, Emotional PPE Project doesn't collect your information. We are just there to uh, help list the volunteers and you can talk to anyone, any of them you want. So Nisa, I, I, I kind of want to ask you as sort of frontline boots on the ground, wading into it every day, flying into it every day. How has the COVID, if, if you care to share, how has the COVID affected you know, your emotional health, do you feel like? I mean, we talk every day. So, I mean, I've seen you go through a lot of the ups and downs, but what do you think you can share with our listeners and with Anne-Marie and Ariel about the way COVID has affected your practice and the way you feel about it? There are a lot of things that come to mind. Um, for me, the the toughest ones, the toughest patients are the ones that, um, I mean, every patient is, is a tough one, but particularly when it's a, a very young person, I'm thinking of one patient in particular that was extremely young and it wasn't just me that was impacted. I could see the nurses that were caring for him impacted vastly differently than any other patient. Uh, the patients whose, whose families don't understand the progress and the futileness and that this patient is ultimately going to succumb, that there's nothing more we can do. They don't, they're not able to understand that. And so instead of, you know, withdrawing care, we have to watch them slowly. I didn't know oxygen saturations could get to 19%, 17%. Um, and, and you're, you're standing there watching it happen. Um, two other things that I can think of besides just patients is the division that this has caused in not just in our society, but even in nursing. Um, nurses have been split and, and it's been like a ripping apart uh, where it came to vaccination statuses and mandates and all of those things have torn the the career that I love to bits and people have taken their stances and People I've known for my entire career are on opposite ends of where I am, and it, it's been very, very strange and painful in many ways. The other thing that I have learned specifically during COVID about ER nursing, which is what I know, emergency nursing, is that 
I have been trained and over and over, and it has been reinforced in my assessments that we always think worst case first. What is going to kill this patient right now first? I'm going to eliminate that and then go on to the next thing. What is going to kill this patient next? So I have been trained to think worst case scenario every single time. And it's been hard for me to compartmentalize that just to work. And so sometimes, because my mind has been so trained to that in my personal life, in my regular life. Sometimes the gutters on I'm, your house aren't the color you expected. It's the end of the that is the worst. That is the worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. And so I find that spilling over. And I don't know what about this pandemic has made me recognize that and made me realize maybe it's just because everything is turned to volume 10 with COVID. But I realize that I'm doing that in other aspects of my life and that I need to be able, while it's very important in emergency nursing to think worst case scenario and then eliminate that and keep eliminating it until you figure out what's going on with your patient, that's what saves them in other aspects of, of your life. It's not so great. <laughs> it's not so great. It's got to be exhausting. Do you think that sometimes it's, it's really hard to understand that work-life balance? And, and I think one thing about this pandemic, it has made us all reevaluate our own personal work-life balance. And, you know, no, I can't come in and do that extra shift. No, I, I need to spend time with my family. No, I need to take that PTO day. And I will tell you that I had encouraged our leaders here to take a PTO day at least once every, um, you know, two weeks if they had it. And, you know, that's great. That's all words. But what one of them said to me is, you know, Amory, it might be easier for us to take a day if you would take a day. And then I thought, wow, how, what a powerful feedback that was to me as a leader, you know, that it, it almost, you know, what you say may be one thing, but it's really what you do. Um, and I said, well, do I make you feel bad for taking a day? Oh, no, no, no. But we just feel like if you're not taking one, why should we take one? And, you know, I said, okay, I, I totally get it. So it, I think, and I'm sure there's many other stories just like that of us all really reevaluating our own personal time and the things that we're doing and the amount of hours that we're spending at work. I mean, there's explicit permission to take care of yourself, but then there's implicit permission The you know, watching what the people around you are doing and saying, oh, geez, they keep stepping up to the plate. I don't want to look like I'm slacking off. I, I don't want to be the weak one here. I don't want to show that I can't, I can't run with the big dogs and I can't keep up. Uh, and that kind of, we've never had this kind of marathon health crisis before. It's been unrelenting for two years. Um, you know, that that's something that a pattern that we can fall into maybe for a month at a time or even longer, but we've never had to challenge ourselves to do it this long. And even though there maybe it's getting better, maybe it's not. And so there's there's no knowing when you're actually going to get the chance to stop and take a breath. So you kind of have to stop and and take care of yourself so that you can move on to the next step. I was very grateful for that feedback. And I was grateful that that I have that type of relationship with the people that work with me and report to me that they could, you know, give me that. That's great. You know, modeling self-care is in leaders is, is so important. I agree. And I, I think the other piece of it too, and I want to thank you, um, Nisa, for sharing your, your story and how things are impacting outside of your life, because 
I do think that storytelling in leaders is also so important. And, you know, as soon as you look up to someone and you see them as strong and successful and they are saying, I'm having a hard time and I'm actually going to reach out for help. I think that is the thing that is ultimately going to break the stigma and ultimately going to help people to understand that you are not weak when you get help. You are not weak when you admit that, holy crap, this pandemic is having a big effect on me, you know? I'm grateful to those who are willing to take that leap and really come out and say that this is hard. It is. And maybe I need a little extra support. And then I think that, again, gives permission in a similar way. Absolutely. Kind of like what you tell new grads when they come on the floor. Always have three things that somebody can do for you when somebody asks you if they can help you. Always think of three things that, that they can that somebody can do, even if it's answer a call bell. Get it, get a pill and get a what, I mean, whatever. Always have three things. That's what I teach them. So that, you know, that that way you're not going to drown. And you've given them permission to be, be able to ask for help, not just a little bit of help, but threefold help. I I love what you said, um, Ariel, about saying to people, I'm getting help because this is, this sucks. This is really hard. Because my question to you was, what would I say to coworkers who, who are behind this wall of, I don't want to be weak. I I'm fine. I'm, I'm making it work or whatever, but it's really not about that. It's really about admitting it myself and then, and then just being vulnerable. And then hopefully they can, uh, they can feel the same way or feel safe. Yeah. And, and I think we are in, we are in a better time. I mean, you know, we see people models in the media now that we never did before, you know, like everyone has a therapist on TV and, you know, there's, there's some great, um, you know, interviews and Ted talks and, you know, there's people who are strong and who are leaders in our communities, uh, are getting help. And I think we are in a place right now where it's becoming more universally accepted that, Strength is not doing it on your own. Strength is using the resources around you to build you up. It, to be able to say back to somebody, well, I reached out and I talked to someone, that I think goes a long way, um, a lot, you know, longer than, well, you know, I, uh, I think it's a good idea. I know I saw on your website there were some testimonials by, you know, anonymous testimonials. Is there anything like that you want to speak to? Like what are healthcare providers saying after they've used your service? The thing that we are seeing, uh, getting the most feedback about is just how simple it is. We've heard things like, oh, well, I've thought about getting a therapist before, but, you know, the idea of like, you know, working four twelves and then having a, you know, and then trying to find somebody that actually has my schedule and that takes my insurance and this and that and that, you know, like it just was not in the picture. I mean, especially during a pandemic, but any time, really. So that's the thing. It's like, like, holy moly, I needed, you know, I thought for years that I wouldn't, that I wasn't going to use a resource like this, but I did. And it was so easy. And so that's, I think, the big thing. The impact that it has on people's lives, too, has been shocking to me. Like, they come back and they say, I was going to leave nursing. That was a big thing. I was going to leave nursing and I didn't because I got the support that I needed. Yeah, I love that. That is a good success story. Yeah, I think, you know, again, and I've mentioned Dr. Dan, the co-founder, and, you know, he always talks about it sort of like risk benefit, right? Like, so what's the risk? 
Mm-hmm. It's such a it's such a light lift to just call and say to somebody who's trained and confidential, you know, I'm having kind of a hard time or mm-hmm. life is tough right now. I would like people to know that they're worth it. Take the time to invest in yourself because you're worth it. You're important to so many people in your own home, personal life, your friends. Yes, you're important at work too, but most importantly, you're, the important person is yourself to you and you need to be the best you that you can be for you. And this will help. This is great. So, um, and then just to reiterate, this is not going to end when the pandemic ends, correct? No, it will not. It will not. I think that, you know, there's a, first of all, we had no idea when we started that this was, you know, this pandemic, how long it was going to go on, but you know, it's not just us. We, it's become clear the issue of needing extra support in healthcare communities did not start with the pandemic, and it's not going to end with the pandemic. I imagine that we as a organization will morph and grow and develop in different directions, and ultimately what we want to do is just serve as many people in need as possible, whatever that looks like at the time. So I have been functioning as the uh, sort of leader of the organization for the past two years, yeah. and we are now finally actually hiring an executive director. Right. So if anyone listening is interested in potentially helping out with our cause, please look up our ad on LinkedIn, um, and it would be great to, um, I mean, to have somebody that has been on uh, the front lines, by the bedside, to be able to help lead our organization to the next need, that would be fabulous. So that's, a that's where we're going next. Uh, I see Lisa's face. Lisa's well, we've like, got maybe I'm going to We've got job opportunities. <laughs> this is a one-stop shopping podcast. Oh, my gosh. Free therapy. Yes, the, yeah. yeah, free therapy. Is, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and actually, some organizations have reached out to say, like, how can we put our money where our mouth is for our members? And then they have given us some, you know, some donate. So it's been, you know, and a couple of us have things on our Facebook page for donating and what, because, you know, that it's all going for a good cause. It's all. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you yeah. know, it's interesting that you, Anne-Marie, were talking about the three things that how people can help. And, you know, that I was thinking, you know, there's three things that emotional PPE usually asks for. Yep. And one of them is financial support. And that, you know, we are a very lean organization. We're about to hire our first real employee. We have a couple of, you know, interns and, and help, but we got to pay the bills to keep the lights on and whatever um, support we can get financially is always goes a huge way. And then, you know, the two other ways are... We are always looking for volunteer therapists, so people who want to give back to healthcare workers that have been fighting the good fight over the past two years. That is also accessible on our website. You can just sign up if you're a licensed therapist. And then uh, the third way is... Get the word out. Get the word out. Get the word out. That's the third one. (laughs) That's what we're here to help you do. Get that word out. Yeah, exactly. But I do think, honestly, the most important thing, though, is that if you are a healthcare worker in need, we are here for you. Call. So yeah, emotionalppe.org, you know, it's a website, so it's open 24 hours a day and uh, send a text to somebody who's trained and, you know, they can listen and they can listen confidentially. Well, I'm going to be passing this on to my CNO and also to the, um, well, both my side hustle and my main gig, because, you know, nurses always have two jobs. I will be passing it on to both of them. And congratulations on uh, looking for an executive director. That's a big step. That's amazing. (laughs) 
Um, and thank yeah. you so much for coming up yeah. with this brainchild, this beautiful, beautiful thing that you're doing. So good. I'm going to, I've already looked at folks in my state um, and I will be choosing one directly, making a phone call. Great. So glad to hear it. Thank you so much for taking the time to stop and visit with us. We will get the word out. Um, uh, if they'd like to get in touch with you any other way, is there an email address or should they just go through the emotionalppe.org? You can always email us at contact at emotionalppe.org. Perfect. Great. Love it. Thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. Folks, if you liked what you heard, please go to the keywordpodcast.com. We have information online about this episode where you will have a link to the Emotional PPE project. We'll have some other information that you can look up. But that's it for now. So, dear listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Hello, Nisa. Hi, Lisa. Good to see you again. You too. We have... We have... Go... Please, Go take it away. <laughs> <laughs>